episode man what a what an interesting thing to have all these different podcasts right all these different mentors but to lead to one that i truly truly love here who is my pastor so Renaud Vanderit. what's up thank you for being here and it's so good to be here so good to be with you and uh, thanks for um taking the time to uh, have us sit down and talk about life and busyness yeah. and the stuff we typically talk about anyway so yeah, so, so the good thing about Renault is that he knows the leadership team that's behind this brand too. And so there's a, there's a good there's a good family feel around all this. And we know that this podcast, we want to make sure that not only our guys, because we know that guys watch the podcast, but we know that women also trip over the podcast too because they want to know what sure. we're talking about. Uh, sometimes kids can trip over the podcast. So this is a little something for everybody. And the reason why I wanted to bring Renault on is because here we are at our church. We just reached a huge mile mark, which is uh, uh, turning 20 years old. Yeah, crazy, crazy. So, be, okay, so hold on. Let, let's, let's get to today. You turn 20. What does that feel like to be a pastor who's made it this long when most churches only last so long um, in the beginning stages? And yeah, well, you know, I mean, in many ways, uh, I've, I've been saying this for a while now. You know, one of my kids, I have eight kids, as you well know. Uh, and one of them was six months old when we started this church. And so he turned 20 six months before this church turned 20. And so I think that picture for me, when you ask me, what does it feel like to have a church that's 20 years old? It feels like the way when I look at my son, who I have now managed to be a part of his childhood and young adulthood, teenagehood, and you suddenly have this adult and you think to yourself, if all this amazing stuff has happened while he was a child and a young adult, what is the potential now as he enters adulthood to take all of this 20 years of cumulative learning and now apply it. And I feel the same way about Mosaic. If God has done all of this in our 20 years of childhood, what does he even begin to do with us now that we're showing up as a 20-year-old adult to say, God, what do you want from us? Where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? We've learned some things that you've taught us. Yeah. Show us the way. So I'm super excited, man. And I can't believe we get to be here. Okay, so, so let's dial back because, of course, we're celebrating 20. But there had to be a beginning. Uh, and uh, actually, let's dial all the way back because your dad's been on the podcast before. Oh, my God. Yeah. So dad's been on the podcast before. We had him after our last Better Man event. Where, where did the passion for you to do this for a living? Where did it all come from? Um, you know, I, I, I think there's probably two layers to that story. There is the, the kind of direct layer that's like it happened here. And, and that story is a very simple one. I was a freshman in high school. Uh, I wanted to be a marine biologist. I love ocean life and I love exploring ocean life. And uh, I was I was literally in a hotel room uh, moving from one city to another because my dad was in the military. And so we moved a lot. And I was I, I remember clearly I was uh, watching some TV. I have two sisters. So they're in their hotel, their room. I'm in my room, my parents in their room. And I just uh, those moments in life that don't happen often to me. I can I can count them on one hand. But where it feels like an audible voice inside of you as God speaks. And I remember the spirit of God just saying, uh, I, I want you to go and going to ministry uh, at that time youth ministry but just going to ministry and my response was okay and then I kept watching TV and and from <laughs> that point forward that was just what I knew I was going to do but dad never preached mom never preached no um they preached through their life right now home right but no none of that 
And and so that's the sort of the, there it is, vocational ministry. But the reality is I realize as I look at my life now and I look back on my life, that um, that was one part of a story that God was unfolding uh, for me. You know, I, I, I love in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 10, uh, at the end of this gospel unpacking, it says, uh, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. This advanced word fascinates me that God has got things ready for me to do. So what I've come to realize is that God's story for my life, um, not my story for his, his story for me, was that I would get to play in multiple facets because the real reality that was born growing up is I want to change the world. Now, I think we're all changing the world in our own ways. We profoundly change the world when we love our wife well, when we raise our kids well, when we're wow. engaged. We profoundly change the world when we are a good friend to another man, uh, when we are a good uh, uh, um, an add to the community we're in. We're all changing the world. But I know for me, there was this kind of sense of like, the world needs changing, I'm going to change it. And that developed growing up on military bases. So as a child, wow. I'm growing up, and it's so crazy, because even in my therapeutic journey, I've had the privilege of having multiple men walk with me in therapy. So good therapists that can help you navigate kind of how did you become who you are? And so, uh, by the way, for those men who think therapy is for the weak, uh, well, then I am very weak because I've had a long journey of uh, recognizing that I am at my healthiest and my best when I utilize the community around me to help me, whether it is a friend, whether it is a therapist, whether it is a pastor, whether it is a mentor, I'll take anything I can to say, look into me what I cannot see to help me. So in some of those journeys, I discovered that growing up, I grew up on these military bases. My dad is the commanding officer of every one of those bases when I was growing up. Oh, there was that stage of life, right? So two things happened to me. One, as a child, I have this profound sense. I'm in a place with fences around it, with barbed wire everywhere, with men with guns everywhere. So clearly there's danger clearly things outside there are dangerous right right right. but i'm safe here so god was already stirring in me this this mindset that said even though we live in a dangerous world in other words changing the world's going to take it's going to cost a lot it's going to cost me it's going to it's going to it's it's sacrificial right yeah that at the same time it doesn't matter because you live in a safe bubble and so my theological understanding of god's safety of our story even though we live in a dangerous world, if you will, an unpredictable world, sure, sure. Was, was established as a child on these military bases going, I get to change the world because I'm safe, but the world is dangerous. And then the other thing is just a, a thing that I thought was funny that has shaped my entrepreneurial way of thinking is that um, when I was little, five, six years old, I jump on my little bike and I'm rolling to dad's office, you know? And, and I would ride my bike and every gate that was shut with guards next to it, guns, nobody gets through here. I'm riding toward the gate, gate opens, because everybody on the base knew that I was the commanding officer's son, right? And so I got used to, as a child, this idea that when you run into obstacles, when things in front of you seem impossible to get through, guards and guns and gates and people, somehow if you just ride straight at them, they just kind of open. So that's not always <laughs> true in life by any means, but it has created this, this sense that God was shaping early on for the story he had for me, which was hey, you know, to be entrepreneurial, you kind of have to say, you know, this might not work, might work, I don't know, but it's worth a try because it's probably going to work. And when it doesn't work, you just pivot and do that. That natural kind of way in me isn't because I'm awesome. It's because God has been stirring this story for a long time. So I want to change the world, 
And um, being a pastor of a church developing disciples was one of the ways to affect that change. And so I've, I've loved it. What did your parents say uh, uh, when, when you started expressing this, you know, because this seminary, you know, this stuff like that. So w- w- your parents were like, oh, yeah, we love it. Dad wasn't like, no, I want you to follow what I do. Or Yeah, you know, I, I think, um, and again, I, I think as dads and, um, and, and as moms, for that matter, as parents of children, um, especially in our Western context, this is one of the challenges because a lot of times I think we as adults Perhaps there is something we wanted to do. We wanted to be that football player. We wanted to be that doctor. We, <laughs> we put it on our kids. <laughs> yes. No, like legit we yeah. do, right? We have this thing of like, they've got the potential, so I, I want to put that. Or we're doing something, and, and there's the sense of like, I want to make sure that they do that. Or on a much more subtle level, we have a set of things in our mind that are important. College education support. This is important. A they recipe, might, right. They, they might be but we project that onto our kids and then anytime our kids have some kind of a potential other our response is kind of a bent out of shape response now that's not to say if your kids like i want to become a uh, uh, rowing across the ocean we get to kind of say we, we probably want to think this one through but in general my parents gave this to me and i've been able to give it to my kids it's helping our children discover what they are wired to do because this this uh, craziness that a Western culture gives us that you can do anything you want, you know that's not true, right? I, I, I know some people who want to sing and they, yeah, uh, they, they just don't we, have it. We want to tell our kids, you can be anything you want. You can do anything you want. But it's not true. It's, it's actually a <laughs> lie. They can't. What they can be is exactly what they were wired and made to be. And if they're that, it's going to be awesome, right? And there's a range of that. It's not like one thing. It's, man, you're made to be kind of in this range, you know? So what I wanted to be, which is what my parents were for me, is when my kids say, hey, I'm thinking about this, I want to explore with them. I want to say, it sounds really interesting. Let's, let's take a look at that. And that's what my parents did with me. They were never sort of like, I don't know. They're like, okay, let's, let's explore that. What is that going to mean? What do we do to get there? Well, so I always felt like whatever it was that I would want to pursue, that they would get behind the journey of exploring it doesn't mean that they would just let me go do stupid things if right, in right. the exploration we were like, this is not going to work. It's just that I, it was never, hey, you shouldn't do that because I want you to do this. So I know a lot of uh, my peers that live under that weight, but I thankfully wasn't one of them. Well, okay. So, so let me ask you now because, um, you know, we're talking about 20 years, but as you start, you, you, you finish school, the parents have given you the encouragement that you needed. Um, for everyone who's listening right now, because I, I, I think naturally you're like, okay, so you graduate from seminary, you start a, you start a, a church, and everything's successful. So what was that That's beginning? Went, you know it. <laughs> Already a thousand people's coming That's to the first service. But you shared with us in one of the services that you guys started like, what, the living room, garage? How, 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 do, how do churches start? Well, you know, I, I think the same way anything starts, like businesses, churches, nonprofits, Birthing a child. I mean, you, you know, planting a seed in your garden. I, I mean, you think it designed into the system that God has designed is this reality that when we start things, they require a great deal of energy and investment. And then as they grow into maturity, they require less and less energy and investment in a different kind, right? So when you first plant a seed, you got to water it and keep it going. And then when yeah. that little seedling comes up, protect it from all the dangers and, and but once it becomes a big mango tree you basically just leave it alone and it gives you mangoes right i mean sort of kind of 
Now, in the same way, I think everything starts, generally speaking, the general rule is everything starts with nothing and then it starts hard. You've got you to invest a great deal. And so I, I think coming into the story of Mosaic, at, at least that was in place in that the statistics, you know, general statistics, nine out of 10 churches that start or businesses that start fail in the first year. That's hard. That's a hard number. It's a hard number. And then nine out of 10 of the ones that succeed the first year fail within five years, right? So, so here's, here's the trick. You can, you, can, you can do one of three things with that piece of information. You can either say, well, then I'm not starting anything. Right. That's fair. I mean, I don't think that's unwise. You're like, yeah, that, that, those odds are, are not odds I want to play, right? Or you can say, that's not true. Whatever I start's going to succeed. You can play that but you've got a 90% chance you're going to be wrong. And then you're going wow. to be deeply disrupted and disappointed because you've uh, you've put your identity into the success of whatever you've started. And this is what I think guys do a lot is they say, if I start something, it shouldn't fail. And therefore, if it does fail, it's on me. In other words, I'm not good enough. I failed. And then they get driven by this, like, keep trying more things to prove to themselves and others that they're not a failure. But if you go into this and you're like, I've got a 90% chance that this thing's going to fail. That's the statistics. So if it succeeds, I kind of go, you believe it? Oh my gosh, it, it, it worked. And if it fails, I don't have to go, man, I suck. I just go, I dared to try something that I knew nine out of 10 things never make it. And God's story for the seed I planted was it got a little fledgling and then it kind of, you know, and that's okay. How many things do we plant? Do we do that? That just don't work out. So for me, I think coming into it, it wasn't this this naive sense of it's it's going to work. No matter it's going to blow up. Yeah. Or was it a since it it probably won't? I shouldn't try. For me, from a theological and a philosoph life philosophy standpoint, I've kind of found a philosophy and theology that says, you know what, I get to try, and if it works, great. Then I get to be part of something awesome. And if yeah. it doesn't work, great. Then I tried. My worship to God is not what I produce for him and bring to him and say, I started a church. Look, it's awesome now. It's that I dared to believe in him enough to try. Wow. And if it doesn't work, I get to look at him and say, man, I, I, I tried. And, and I think he, he goes, it's awesome, man. So if your worship, your, 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 your joy, your work is the daring to step into things, wow. try, then fail or succeed doesn't change how you think about yourself. If it fails, you don't think less of yourself. If it succeeds, you don't think those are the two grave dangers in identity, aren't they? I fight constantly the idea of I'm always battling with either thinking too little of myself wrongly in that way or too much of myself wrongly wow. in that way because look, I measure my awesomeness or my terribleness by the successes and realities around me. When the Bible says, I've already told you who you are, if you stay there, then all these things become a freedom that you can play in. And success or failure just becomes a part of the journey of life instead of a, I'm awesome, I'm terrible, depending on if I'm succeeding or failing. So for me, starting the church at those odds and the businesses I've gotten to start at those odds and the nonprofits at those odds have always been like, maybe it'll work. Yeah. Maybe it won't, but it's worth a shot. Well, and we haven't even talked about the nonprofits. We haven't even talked about, uh, you know, the entrepreneurship that you have going on here in the beautiful city of Winter Garden, where this podcast is headquartered. 
But uh, really quickly, because you do move have to pass. Winter Garden. Move to Winter Garden. <laughs> no, don't move to Winter Garden. No, don't. Move to There's Winter Garden. too many people. I take it back. Make. I take it back. But uh, I, I did want to get to, because you've got pastors that are watching right now. So you shared with us uh, your, your first congregation ever. First congregation. 10 people? 20? Yeah, I'm, I mean, we, we met some people um, in our neighborhood, uh, said to them we're starting a church. Uh, it's not a great way to start a church. You know, I have the privilege now of assessing and speaking into church planters um, a lot. And, and I, I constantly laugh because I'm like, everything we know about at least giving yourself a decent odds. I, I didn't do any of these <laughs> things and didn't know to. Um, but but I do think for us, uh, it just started with a couple of people that we just said, we're going to start a church. Do you want to come find out more? Um, our first couple of gatherings, I mean, we're, we're talking about, you know, the teens, 20s. Like it, it was it was yeah. a lot of people. And the first really two to three years, it kind of went up and down. So it wasn't even just this progressive, growing reality because that people need to hear that. Yeah. It's just that up, yeah, and down. I, mean, I remember at one point, I think we were probably a year in, and we were maybe at like sixty or seventy people regularly. And then uh, we we weren't really catching a stride in terms of youth ministry and stuff. And so all these people that had joined the church that had teenagers, I would have these cups of coffee with them when they'd say. You know, we love you, love the church, but, you know, I've got a teenager and there's no youth group. And so we're going to go back to the other church. And that's real. And, that's real. and then it, it went down. I think we went back down to like 20 eventually. And and riding that like this is what something that is new and growing does. It goes up, it goes down, it goes sideways. And it's, it's, it's the perseverance to navigate those things. And again, I think if our identity is tied to that and we're constantly measuring whether we're okay, whether we're good, whether we're valuable based on how it's going, success, right. it's, then it's a sleepless night, isn't it? I mean, like, wow. like you're like, oh my gosh, we got 70. This is great. Oh no, it's down to 20. It's yeah. What did we do wrong this time? Yes. Yeah. And, and so it, it's really just going in and saying, God, the joy is waking up in the morning and, and, and persevering until it seems obvious that like, okay, it, it, it's dead. And until that's the point, and then when it's dead, you know what? This planet is the planet where things are born, live, and die. That's not our eternal story, but it's our temporal story. And so I've always also said, like, why are we so obsessed with a, an, an aversion to the fact that things die? Humans die. Churches die. Businesses die. Cars die. Buildings die. And, die. <laughs> and so if this is a natural rhythm, then it is really us asking what part of the rhythm am I stewarding right now? The birth of something, the growth of something, the maturing of something, the dying of something. Wow. Uh, each of them an opportunity for us to say, God, I get to steward now putting to rest a little church that didn't make it. It's okay. It's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's full of grief, but it's okay. And, and so again, if, if our identity uh, is tied to success, as the Western culture tells us it should be, we are going to have a life of a great deal of stress depending. But I... Yeah. By God's grace, uh, the joy for me was just kind of like, that's eh, going. So it was really small for a long time. I mean, it wasn't really until year probably four or five that we even really started seeing growth uh, shoot beyond like that 150 mark. Wow. And and again, it wasn't something we were like, God, we need this number. Yeah. I just wanted to get it sustainable. And that's usually in church world, generally about 100 people. If you've got 100 consistent people, it's sustainable. So I was like, just want to get sustainable. And uh, and then God's had a different story for us. So. Okay, so one question that I haven't asked this whole this whole route is, you know, you have a wife going through this together. It's not just a you decision. So so how was she in the beginning processes of? All right, we're going to start a church. Yeah, I th I think um, you know, his wife and family both are, are massive dynamics in this decision because we didn't 
I mean, we had very little kids that, I mean, we, we had small children then. That were, well, as you say, when the kids are small, they yeah. kind of have to go along with the plan anyway. But, but, but the, the, the issue is what I know it's going to do to those kids and the decision to say, you know, is it going to do this to the kids and, and is this something I want to do? So for wow. Brooke and I, it was first of obviously a, a dialogue about like, okay, we're going to do this, going to step in this together. Brooke had already transitioned out of her workspace into partnering in ministry with me in student ministries. Wow. So I think we were both like, we, we, we want to be in ministry together. Uh, the church plant thing evolved over a period of time uh, together. And so it wasn't sort of a sudden discussion. I think I need to plant a church. We sort of progressively together grew into that. Grew into that. I think uh, for me, the 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 other thing that was always on the table from early on is recognizing that so often families of pastors, because the church is a space of crisis, meaning people see the pastor as someone they can come to when they're having something. Save the day. So everything feels like a crisis the time because it's not everyone in crisis all the time it's just one or two but there's a hundred people so that's (laughs) someone in crisis all the time i knew that a lot of families uh, experience the absence of their dad um uh their mom whatever in in the ministry arenas and and because of that absence uh they grow up and they they have this sense that the church steals dad from them wow so then they they grow to have a hard time with the idea of church or uh, the other thing I saw a lot was because dad uh, or mom in ministry is in this space now where they have a reputation and everyone's watching them and they they got to they got to keep their crap together. Yeah, you know? pastors' kids. Uh, yep, that's right. Th- that that two things that happen. One, the kids' experience. Dad at church is different than dad at home because dad at church has to keep himself good. But we know what would go. It's not terrible at home. It's just regular dad at home, perfect dad at church, right? Yeah. And also this weight of like, since I'm guarding my reputation, you all need to guard my reputation too by being perfect kids at church, regular kids at home. So coming into ministry, the decision that we made to start a church uh, took those things into consideration as well and said, if we're going to do this and that's that's a norm, how do we decide up front we're not going to make that a norm? And if you mm-hmm. can't do that, then let's not start a church. So from the very beginning, even the way we thought about doing church and my boundaries and what I'm going to allow for myself to engage in, really considered the idea of, I want my kids to grow up, see Jesus as authentic because they don't see a different dad at church than they do at home and go, Jesus is fake because dad's fake at church. Oh. And I wanted my kids to love the church, to say the church is, is, is a community. It's a beautiful place. It's where we found our home. We could be ourselves. We could run around. Uh, there we were safest instead of there we had to pretend and that's what stole dad away. And so even from the very beginning, just kind of setting this trajectory of the seven decades I, I generally had to live and say, what are these two decades about? What are these two decades about? And, and which ones were kid decades? And therefore life, ministry and business had to take a side note because I've only got this much time. It's decisions like that that we had to wrestle through before planting yeah. this place so that in planting it, we wouldn't lose our heads. By the way, his wife, Brooke, such a powerhouse. She is in cornerstone. She is. Um, okay, so let's get to present because I want to be respectful of your time. And I I love digging in. Anytime I get a chance with you, you know, I love digging in. But uh, so here we are presently. Yeah. You've got business. You've got uh, uh, nonprofit. Yep. Okay, so let's talk about the business because you're, you're doing all this together. So we're talking about the church turning 20. But at the same time, you've also, um, you've also brought something to the community of Winter Garden, which to me and a lot of our guys from Better Man and from all, uh, the Sons of Thunder, some of the other brands, we love your coffee house. 
So can we talk about why you did that? And, and, and then we'll probably uh, branch into the nonprofit as well. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's all sort of one story. Uh, and and um, it, is, it is a story that's been unfolding uh, now for about a decade or so in terms of actual sequence. It's a four-decade plan. So as I said, I sort of planned my. I, I planned my. <laughs> Who plans out that long? Like, <laughs> well, you know, there, it, it it is a it's a it's a great question actually, and I, and I think what what dawned on me early on in my life by God's grace was just this idea that the Scripture speaks of that this life is a, is a vapor. It's a breath. It, it wow. comes and it goes. You breathe in. So if you think about it, you breathe in and you breathe out, and it's over. And and so just saying, okay, uh, it feels like a forever because it's 70, 80 years. But if I look at it in decades, it's crazy. Even even my dad right now, it's so interesting when I listen to my dad talk right now. So he's mid seventies, right? Okay. And he talks Dad sharp as a whip. Yeah. Sure. So he's he's amazing. And and he will now in regular conversations say this. He'll say, you know, I I want to make sure that for my next fifteen years, because he knows that's essentially what's left, right? Maybe he's ninety four, ninety five, but between now and ninety, it's fifteen years. So think about talking about life like that. I've got fifteen summers, fifteen years. And then that's it. Wow. And so there, there's been this clarity for me all along that I, I get this, this seven or eight decades of life. The first decade, I don't even get to steward because I'm zero to 10. So I don't even know that I'm a, that I'm a thing. You know? And then the, <laughs> the, the, the second decade, 10 to 20, I'm just really getting my head on straight. So I'm not really stewarding that one much at all. So I kind of thought from 20 onward, you're sort of stewarding, right? Um, so for me, it played out this way. The four-decade plan... I, I looked at the world and I thought, if we want to change the world, we're going to need disciples, humans that love Jesus, and to the point that they've said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and my life is his. So that means my resources, my time, my energy, isn't that I give all of it only to whatever, vocational ministry, but I'm stewarding it all for him now, for the sake of his kingdom and his glory and the story I get to be part of. Those kinds of people, they're disciples, right? Followers of Jesus. I'm going to need a ton of those people because they're they're not only willing to change the world, but they'll they'll do it in a sustainable way because their motivation is not tied to the fickle nature of circumstance. Wow. Then I needed money because planet Earth runs on money. And so if I want to send these people from here to there, or I want to build this thing, or I want to dig a well or whatever, when the people go, money is helpful. So I'm like, we need money. And money, you can get two ways, only two ways. You can ask for it, or you can make it. Those are your two options. So I'm like, yeah. well, we could do both. You could ask and make it. And so that was my thought, just trying to make it, try to ask for it. And then the third is just in the world we live in, um, businesses and churches have baggage in terms of the world, the globe. So some countries don't like businesses because they threaten their economy. Some countries don't, uh, businesses from outside. Right. Some right. countries don't like non, uh, uh, churches because of obvious reasons. But nonprofits that work with vulnerable children, typically around the world, very few countries that won't say, yeah, come on in, come help. So um, uh, a platform for entry and exit of that. We just kind of started thinking about if we want to change the world, what do we So I just decided, um, you know, uh, probably more than a decade ago, let's build all three of those over a period of time and got them built. We can utilize them to change the world. And that's when God started setting this decade plan in place. So my thought was from my, from my 40th birthday to my 50th birthday, that's decade one, and then decade 250 to 60, 60 to 70, 70 to 80. And so there's a plan for these three things in each decade just kind of unfolding the first decade, like when you plant seeds, not a lot of like exit kind of stuff, like big things we do because we're just, we're just, trying to, we're just trying to get the plant to be able to withstand the realities of life and storms and things. But the plan for the decades is to give more and more and more and more and more money away, to release more and more and more disciples and to have a larger and larger global platform. And so build that when I turn 80, 
hand all that over to some 35-year-olds, tell them to go change the world. So um, that's the 40-year plan that I'm on in terms of workspace change in the world, play there. But in that 70-year plan of kind of, you know, 30 years to 80 years old, that kind of span, right? Uh, the other thing I realized is that the two decades I have my kids in the house, which are these last two decades, because my youngest is now 16, I got two more years. So I always knew when I turned 52, Cole graduates my youngest, and from 52 onward, I can do whatever the heck I want. Youngest of eight, by the way. Youngest just, of eight. Just to reiterate. Yes. And so I, I just realized I can do all this stuff, but I've got to be willing for it to fail because I'm only willing to give it the time I've allotted to the whole vocational reality, which is 40 to 55 hours of my life, right? Uh, not, not, not stretching beyond that. Why? Because for two decades, I raised my kids. They're in my home. I either know them and they know me, or I don't know them and they don't know me because I'm busy doing all this other Whoa. stuff, right? Yeah. When those two decades are over, I, I remember thinking about this. It was so crazy. When I turned 52, if the church I started at 30 failed and the business I started failed, and the nonprofit I started failed because I didn't give it enough uh, attention. At 52, can you start a church? Sure. Can you start a business? In fact, I would argue best people to start businesses are people in their 50s because they know what the crap they're doing. <laughs> They've learned enough to actually do it. Right. There's some wisdom there. Yeah. Um, can I can I start nonprofits? Yes. But when those two decades of raising my kids are over and I suddenly wake up and go, oh, I, I didn't get that right. I was absent. I was busy doing all this other cool stuff. There's no takes back. I don't get to say to God, can I, can I have another round to try an, another round? With? Nope. You, you had your 20 years with them and that's it. So um, what I decided to do was the 20 years that my kids are in the home, I am going to exert all of my emotional and, and time energy to that minus what is owed to these other things, but only what they me and then when i turn 52 if they've succeeded like some of these have then i get to play uh bigger <laughs> if they haven't then i get to rebuild but either way and now i'm sitting here with all my kids as young adults and my youngest 16 and i did exactly that and it cost this place and the businesses and other things they didn't grow as fast as they could have they didn't do all the things that they could have but i don't sit back and look back and go oh if only i had i'm actually like I did what I thought would be great, and now I have eight kids who know me, who generally like me, uh, who generally have solid relationship with me, and and I'm like, I got those two decades right in the right place. Wow. The rest is just a cherry on top of a cake. Yeah, that's cool. Well, uh, again, you know, uh, the job of a pastor, I say it all the time, uh, in these podcasts, I always remind people that the job of a pastor is not easy. Uh, you know, to be the person who's up on that stage, who everybody's waiting to talk to, um, and you're handling it like a champ, you know? So, so what do you want for the future of this story? Like, where do you see yourself now that the kids have, have, uh, been raised up to a point where they can start to, and what I love about your kids too, is that all your kids, they seem to be on fire. And, uh, it's such a beautiful thing to be able to see that coming from a household of a pastor where sometimes I, I, I said it earlier where I said, pastor's kids. And there used to be, back when I was younger, it would be called PKs. PKs who would yeah. just kind of go wild because their dad was a pastor and they had to live this life. And uh, you've done a fantastic job. Eight kids, eight kids. Um, okay, so the future. What, what do you want for the future? You've got the coffee shop. You've got the nonprofit that helps uh, 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 kids around the world. Uh, what do you want for yourself in the future? So uh, the answer to that is, is two things. The one is concrete and the other one is just doing life. The concrete one is very simple. I would love over the next three decades until I'm 80 
to see the businesses grow um, and expand into different business sectors. I'm constantly finding different business sectors because ultimately the, the deal there is make as much money as we can and give it away. Um, and so there is a plan uh, of, of kind of how much money each decade and how that plays out and that plan lays out. So I just, I'd love to see that plan come to fruition. It's a lot of money if, if the plan comes out well. And so I'm excited about that. Um, the nonprofit, I just want to build it into a brand that has a global presence so that, again, it can be utilized in the future as a platform that has a global and uh, presence and a longevity to it because that yeah. creates um, authenticity. Um, and then the church, I just hope that we can just continue to inspire people to encounter Jesus, start following him, become disciples, and have their lives transformed and get more disciples, more church plants. So in, in its simplest form, do that while just uh, spending my real energy, uh, journeying with this woman that's been given to me, my bride, and <laughs> learning to love her more because it's not easy for her to love me or me to love her. We're complicated humans, and so it's a it's an ongoing work and learning. Um, but at the end, so that's that's the specifics, right? But well, well, I'm glad because you've dropped several nuggets. A, getting along with the wife. I mean, how many guys are listening to this podcast right now that that hits close to home? therapists? <laughs> Lots of therapists. <laughs> And then you also dropped spending time with your kids. That that's that's huge because a lot of us guys, you know, especially when we talk to us men, when it comes to identity, there's a lot of us that we find our identity in what we do. Sure. The fact that you have your identity in raising your kids, who have a great relationship with you, I think that that's important for guys to hear. Yep. So I appreciate that. Okay. So, so I I think ultimately that's what I'd love to see. But at the end of the day, I think for all of us, uh, pastor, business person, uh, nonprofit leader. Uh, manager, middle management, just starting out as a 20-year-old, uh, in your 60s, ready to retire, whatever sector you're in. You know, it's funny, I've, I've learned all of the sectors have complications. All of them are different. <laughs> when you're a CEO or a pastor, they're both very complicated spaces, right? But but here's what I, what I think I, I want to see for the next, un, until I take my last breath. I am a steward, uh, a person, kind of like a financial advisor is to your money. You give them your money, it's your money, not theirs. Right. And you ask them to do things with your money to make it more money. That's the hope, right? Yeah. And if you find out that they took your money and bought themselves a house and a car, and you came back a couple of years later and said, can I can I have my money back? I'm like, oh, I spent it. On what? I had stuff I wanted. I mean, it wouldn't go well, right? <laughs> and so I am a steward of circumstances, of resources, of relationships, of life. Wow. It's all God's. I'm a steward of it. And what I really want to do the rest of my life is at each juncture, whatever it is. Is it a dying church or a growing church? Is it a dying business? Uh, is it tragedy? Is it joy? Is it lots of resources? Is it very few? Is it dreams come true or dreams dying? I don't know. I don't know. But whatever it is, I want to be able to engage it and say, God, how do you want me to steward this? How do you want me to steward my time? How do you want me to steward my emotional energy? How do you want me to steward my mental energy? How do you want me to steward the realities of my life in such a way that the very stewardship itself honors you? What wow. it produces is most irrelevant right that's right business it's that i can <laughs> say at the end of a week or a month or a year i think i've stewarded what i have been given time emotional energy resources in a manner that says i was thinking more about you than them yeah. and more about them than me and and if, i if dared I, to try and i dared to try and if i can steward well whatever comes my way uh, that's what i want to do i just want to be a good steward and i think that that'll bear whatever fruit it bears because the fruit ultimately, even the fruit that comes in and through me, is because the vine births fruit through me. So it's his fruit. Uh, I just I just want to steward well. Okay. Okay. So let me ask you this question, and, and this is the wrap-up, but because I he always says that, but it's I, never true. I, I, I don't, you should have been a pastor. I don't, <laughs> I don't joke. 
I don't ever have the opportunity to ask these questions though, but what what is the hardest thing for a pastor? It's it's your occupation. You know that it's a calling. The Lord gave it to you, but you're stewarding it. But but for, for real, legit. Like if I was a mechanic, I'd say, oh, hardest thing is pulling out a whole engine because it takes all this time. And the... what's the hardest thing about being a pastor? For me, I don't know about other guys. Uh, it may be different for different guys. For me, the hardest thing has been, uh, and so it's the thing I, I work very hard at to make sure it doesn't do the thing it can do. But the hardest thing is this, evaluating what is crisis and what is not in, in people's lives and the dynamics of church life and so on, because everything can feel like a crisis. Because the stuff I'm dealing with as a pastor when I'm encountering people, if it's not doing a, a fun podcast like this or hanging out with friends, it's usually because a person is either trying to navigate something in life or they are in a crisis. Divorce, a dinner. I just found out my spouse is having an affair. Um, I just lost my job. I I I, I just found whatever. Uh, uh, Dude, you have to deal with these stories like one after. It's actually it's actually another. one of my privileges, honestly. That's a story for another day. Well, but what's hard about it isn't the actual things themselves. It's that if I measured everything that felt like a crisis to every person as a crisis, I'd never be home. I'd never invest myself in anything else because there is a crisis available every minute of every day. Wow. And then if you add the crises of, oh, we just went over the budget and things are, you need to get in here for a meeting tomorrow morning, or uh, there's a staff crisis, two staff aren't getting along. I mean, you you know, if you're if you're in life, you know, if you're in businesses, I mean, there's always stuff going on. So what I what, what I think was has been hardest to to make sure I stick to is to say, there are things in life that are real crises, like timing-wise. And then there are things in life that are crisis, but they can wait. And so but what I mean by that is this. I will get texts, calls, whatever, uh, multiple times a week of the things I just mentioned, kinds of things right. I just said. And what does that person want then? They want me to come over then. They just found out their spouses have an affair. I mean, you want your pastor there. And it's 7 o'clock at night, 8 o'clock at night. Wow. That feels like a crisis, but this is what I have to say. I have to say, if I left for every crisis... I, I would leave my family all the time. That can wait till 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. in the morning. I can shift a meeting in the morning and do that person. Here's a crisis that I leave my home for at dinner time. My son, my dad, my dog was in a car accident. They've just get, gotten flown to the hospital. Not sure if they're going to make it. That is a crisis that demands my immediate time. Yeah. And to keep in my head which ones are which, because you know what? The amount of times I have those kinds of crises are several times a year not several times a week. The other set of crises are several times a week, not several times a year. And as a pastor, it's hard to disappoint people. I think it's, we all struggle with disappointing people, yeah, but as a yeah. pastor, disappointing people is hard because you're disappointing them in a hard moment. I'm not just disappointing you because I said a mean thing. You need me, a, and I'm not showing up in the moment you want me to show up. That's a very disappointing thing. So I've always said to pastors, if you don't become real comfortable disappointing people, don't get into the pastorship because you'll disappoint a ton of people and you'll feel it. And then eventually what you'll do is you'll stop disappointing them by disappointing your family every day. And they just won't say anything about it until 20 years later when they don't even know you. So I'm like, I need to become comfortable disappointing people so that I love my family well. That's been the hardest thing for me. Well, appreciate you being honest, man. This has been a this has been a really good deep look into not only a pastor's life but uh, into your life, man. You've done such a great job here in the city of Winter Garden, not just in Winter Garden, but around the world, where uh, this brand has a footprint, and in my life too. And I know the 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 rest of the group that's here shooting, like in all of our lives too. So, I just want to thank you for this time. It's been a joy, and and again, I wake up every morning and I can't believe I get to be any part of God's story. 
on this part, and so I'm just thrilled that I get to play a part. Love us playing a part, and none of us should be. So, yeah, it's been a joy, and I love I love this city and this place, and that we get to make a difference here is awesome. Okay. By the way, when the church turns 21, they're giving out cups of wine. That's what I'm saying. That's, that's what I'm to understand. Craft beer. <laughs> Hey, I want to thank everybody who's watching, everybody who's listening. You know, a lot of hands make the great work. Joe Schlabach, Patrick, Chris Chan. Guys, thank you so much for being a part of this. And Renault, thank you for your time. My joy. Thanks for having me. All right. So there's no doubt about it. I may be a little biased, but that's my good buddy, Renault Vanderit. We've even gone hunting together. And if you want to find out more about Mosaic Church, which is the church that I attend with my family, this is mosaic.com. They're in the beautiful city of Winter Garden, Florida. Now, he also owns the Axum Coffee brand. They have a great, fantastic coffee house in downtown Winter Garden. Also, the nonprofit Love Made Visible. They're doing some fantastic work around the globe. All that to say, this Better Man podcast is to help you guys out there be inspired. Be inspired by these guests that we have on the show. Hey, thank you to Chris Chan, Joe Schlabach, Patrick Bottinelli. And to you for listening to the podcast. My name's Obi Diaz. Hit that subscribe button so this way you never miss an episode. And we'll catch you on the next episode of the Better Man 365.